1: The doctor is in. We're back in Advanced Medicine Mondays, kicking into gear this Monday, and boy, oh boy, I am glad to be back with you, Dr. Batar. and particularly as we, we talked last week, was really quite intense, the discussion on the, the problems in medicine that were really practical problems about the creation of an entire generation or generations of children now going into teen and adulthood within what's defined as this autism spectrum. We know it's the mercury damage, but... The inability of the medical community to know what, either, A, what's going on or deal with it appropriately. And these parents – there's just so much – I don't want to be uh, – it's not like we're being negative, but I'm really concerned for a lot of families in America and around the West.
0: Well, I think that it's uh, an appropriate fear and it's an pr- appropriate concern because the shift that is occurring, which we, would know, which we know it's occurring and we're happy about it, obviously – It needs to accelerate. I think that at a certain point, it's that critical mass that we're looking for. And I think we're approaching that, Robert. I mean, I'm happy where we are, but there's always room for improvement.
1: Yeah, well, certainly. And, you know, as I talked about my own history, and my uncle warning me as a physician not to go into it, there's an article here uh, by an Eric uh, Zielinski over at Natural News. He says, physicians are more suicidal than the general public. A look at why medicine is a horrible career choice. And and I don't think you would disagree with much in here.
0: No, I haven't read the article, Robert, but just from the title, I would have to agree. And the reason it's a horrible career choice is that if you don't play by the rules, Mm -hmm. which are not conducive to really the reasons why a person would seek medicine as a career, Mm -hmm. which is to help people get better. Medicine is a business, and if you are not willing to play by the rigged rules, yes, you will end up suffering. And it's it's a um, you've heard me say this before in private, and I, probably, I don't think I've ever said this on the air. But the difference between a prostitute and a physician mm. is that at least a prostitute expects to get paid, right? <laughs> Golly. Because the, the yeah, medical profession. Doctors are nothing more than the prostitutes of the pharmaceutical industry.
1: Yeah, and and they may never get paid, as we've seen with the third-party intervention, going back from Nixon on forward. Now to Obamacare, the compensation is diminished if it's even gained because so many take the chunks out of it with so much of a bureaucratic oligarchy in its own right invested in stealing every little bit of it. And again, we've talked about the destruction of the doctor-patient relationship. It's like how are you responsible to a patient when you're looking at third parties all the time and you don't even know which ones are out there anymore to compensate you?
0: Absolutely. You have to get approval from third-party reimbursers. You have to get just to get even a cat scan blood work many times a person has lost their life because the physician is waiting for the administration section of the hospital to get approval from the insurance company to reimburse for a test that was crucial in mm-hmm. timing like a you know cat scan of the brain after blunt trauma to the head but because the insurance company had not had a blanket approval you had to call in and get That approval, the patient ended up dying. And this is not something that I'm just making up. This is not something that happens once in a blue moon. This is a very common occurrence. Mm -hmm. And when I I was talking about the pharmaceutical industry and the doctors being the prostitutes, I was talking about the pharmaceutical industry in specific because a doctor, when he writes a prescription, doesn't get paid to write that prescription. But the pharmaceutical industry has their reps, they come in, take doctors for, you know, golf tournaments and dinners and this and that and the other. And the doctor doesn't get a single dime from writing that prescription. Wait, That's that, why I made that comment.
1: Dr. Batar, isn't it interesting? Wouldn't it be a bit more honest of a profession if they would just say, listen, I'm getting paid by my prescription rate and, uh, you know, at least there wouldn't be this game of let me take all these tests and then one day it's all about what, what drugs can I put you on? And the doctors don't get compensated for any of that.
0: You know, it would be, but here's a here's a real clicker. Mm-hmm. The medical profession, the, as far as the medical boards are concerned, if you don't write a prescription and you give something natural, you are now practicing outside of the standard of care. Because if you write for a natural substance, there's no profit to the pharmaceutical industry, so therefore there's a great penalty to the doctor from the medical hierarchy, from the regulatory boards. But if you write for a substance that has... 50,000 documented deaths before the FDA took it off the market, there's no consequence to you Mm -hmm. because you're doing the standard. If you give a vaccine to a child despite a mother refusing to have the vaccine and being very specific that I don't want my child to be vaccinated has not given consent, but the doctor does it, there's no ramification. And if you think that that's something I'm just making up, it's not in North Carolina that happened. In fact, it was something that was all over the Alternative news, if you will. I think um, even Mike Adams had, had covered it on his story. Sherry Tempany had actually sent me the, the link to it in North Carolina, in mm-hmm. the Carolinas Medical Center, which is about 30 minutes from me, that the doctor gave a vaccine, actually four different vaccines, to a child despite the mother not giving consent. Right, right. And then she complained to the medical board, and they said, no problem, it, it was it was appropriate. Yeah. But you know what? If you take that same child... And you say, I don't want to give that child chemo. I just don't want to give my child chemo. That's it. You haven't said anything else. I just don't want to give my child chemo. Robert, you know, as well as I do, they will come and try to take your child away.
1: Well, exactly. You know, this is the story, again, of uh, little Lindsay Nagel's uh, son, Rico. And the fact that they, you know, look, she survived the HIV drugs, because the parents finally figured out it was toxic chemotherapy. that could kill a healthy person, much less a baby. And, you know, all these years later, 20 years later, they're going after her son for humiliating them and showing them the world through the documentary film House of Numbers. And they have a long memory for this kind of thing. And how many stories I've covered here on the air of children who had even gone through traditional oncology with chemo and radiation and survived the initial phases Ended up sick again and said, I'm not going through that again. And still, the courts, with the help of the doctor who's upset about them making a a different decision this time, goes after the kids for possession by the state.
0: Yep. You know, And this is not just limited to what's happening to the patients. See, the patients, they're doing this kind of quietly. And there's a lot of public scrutiny that can be given. and, And, of course, that's part and parcel of what you're doing, bringing awareness to the rest of the world about these type of things. But what people don 't realize and where there is not much public awareness is that the doctors that will also step out they get treated as lower than scum mm-hmm. they're ridiculed they're minimalized they're um, ostracized from the community and then there besides the you know need we talked about maslow's hierarchy of needs and the need to associate and you know the need that humans have of of kind of packing i guess you can you can say i'm not sure what the term would be but of course the need for contact is one thing but in the within the profession doctors really really want to be part of that
1: they want to be in the high, club the group sorry. the high esteem all of that i mean exactly it, yeah.
0: exactly and they play to that mm-hmm. they play that if you're a doctor and you're not doing X, Y, and Z, because the puppet masters have made it that the X, Y, and Z is the only thing that you can do to be in that high esteemed group. And that if you step outside of the box, if you step down, in, the way, in their opinion, and actually help a patient without resorting to what they expect you to use, without resorting to the drugs, the, the chemo, the radiation, whatever, mm-hmm. the, the, even the instrument or the surgical intervention whatever is considered to be quote the the standard and notice that they call it the standard they don't say it's the best they say it's the standard right it's the standard of care and they now can define what that standard is because guess what there is no written standard for anything it's just what's accepted by the herd So, so this whole system now is situated that if the doctor goes out and does something and again I'm not trying to illustrate my case here, but I, I'm going to use that because it really brings home the extreme aspect. Because most doctors are going to buckle. But if a doctor doesn't buckle, and especially if a doctor is successful doing this, their biggest fear, when I say they, the hierarchy's biggest fear is that a rogue doctor will not only do what's not the standard, but get better results, and then they're going to have a big mouth, and they're going to show other doctors that you can be more successful. You can be more successful Mm -hmm. in your peer group, financially, personally, be happier, actually taking care of uh, patients the right way and that they can't afford so they're going to come down with every single thing they have to shut down that operation why because if they don't their money machine is being risked at its very core
1: yeah i mean you don't want to show them up or they don't want you to show them up they don't want to be showed up and of course it's really not that hard to do it's just
0: uh, robert actually the mere existence of what we're doing is showing them up in other words every time a patient gets better yes it shows them up because those patients that are able to get better just with a drug or something they don't come to us. So I'm getting by definition all the failures. Most of the doctors that are doing this type of medicine are getting the vast majority of people that have already failed the conventional treatment. My average patient seen me uh, seen 16 doctors before they see me. So that's not to say that everybody's like that. In fact, more and more people now are becoming aware and they don't want to go that first line of done that first line of uh, uh, action. They understand that they don't want that drug, but my point is that many people have already failed those drugs. They've already failed that treatment modality. They've already failed the standard, and now they're looking for something. They're just looking for relief. They're just looking for a solution. They don't even care about the politics or the philosophy. They just want to get better, and they fail. So every time myself or another doctor that's practicing with the same principles gets a patient better, by definition, is a slap to the face of the hierarchy.
1: Well, this would be the perfect opportunity where they could show their humanity and say, listen, we couldn't help you. Now you're free to go along your way and find something else. We're not going to stand in your way. But they literally add insult to injury and would rather see these folks die horribly than to actually get well by mechanisms and means that show them up.
0: You're absolutely right. In fact, if anybody doubts what you just said, mm-hmm. and I've said there this will be doubters
1: about it. Yes. I'm sorry? There will be some that doubt it because it's a harsh statement. It is.
0: But, Robert, you know, in my scenario, in Mm -hmm. my case, I had five stage four cancer patients, one doctor, one nurse and three lay people, five of them with prognosis that had been given to them between three and six months that they would be dead from stage four cancer. Every one of them was stage four cancer. And when they testified on my behalf, because remember, I was brought up on charges of ethical breach of conduct becoming a physician because I was doing treatments that were not effective, that were frivolous, that was quackery, that was witchcraft. And all five of those patients that had been given between three and six months left to live, when they testified, not one of them was less than three years out from our treatment. One of them was eight years out from our treatment. And the medical board's response to those five cases, one word response, and you know what that word
1: was. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean,
0: how can you say when it's five people's lives and you've been accused of doing treatments that don't work? And they've already been told by the medical profession that you're going to die, go to hospice, get your affairs in order. And then three years out, five years out, six years out, eight years out. It like? They're still alive, and the medical board's response is irrelevant. Irrelevant.
1: How, how does that feel to become irrelevant if you are cured of cancer genuinely, overcame it by natural means? You're irrelevant. Really? But,
0: see, I don't even care about them calling what I'm doing irrelevant. What makes me angry is that they said that mm-hmm. these people's lives that they had lived that they had actually gone beyond the three to six months of prognosis and lived, and then are not three to eight years out, was irrelevant. That's what they were saying. I didn't look, take it. it I mean, well, I don't care didn't if you matter. call me irrelevant. You know, that's opinions. You know, everybody has an opinion. But to sure. say that these people's lives were irrelevant, this is the point that I want to make. That those that doubt that the, that the medical profession, that the hierarchy, that the regulatory bodies, they will let people die rather than allow open dialogue and seeing what other options that They would rather... They would rather be right Mm -hmm. and kill people than to be wrong and allow people to live. And that's the reason that they they had nothing else they could say because they got the people right there in front of them testifying. So what do they say? Irrelevant. It's irrelevant to the case.
1: But what is relevant is we have to take a break here. Advanced Medicine Monday giving you a behind-the-scenes look at... Ed Medicine with Dr. Rasha Batar. Of course, you can read about all the good things you can do through uh, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. The links are up at robertscottbell.com. And any of you out there still want to become a doctor, we'll talk to you about that as uh, I'll ask Dr. Batar to talk about the case of his daughter who wants to be a doctor because he sees there might be a way, might be a way. So maybe you're interested too. We'll be right back.
0: Who'd you say that masked man was? It's a bird. It's a It's Robert Scott Bell. Here
1: I come to save the day.
0: bureaucrats, and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert.
1: Dr. Vitar, I remember at one of the advanced medicine seminars I attended and helped out with, you talked about expanding the, the definition and reality of a healer, of a doctor, to mean Listen, any kind could be a nutritionist, could be a massage therapist, could you know, just opening it up that healing is healing and it should not be limited or constrained by any kind of uh, uh, government definition. Yet, there are some folks out there in our audience probably that say, But I really want to be a medical physician of some kind. Now, despite all of this, despite in the increased risk for suicidal ideations, tendencies, and behaviors, if that is your calling. Is there a way to, to survive the brutality, the hazing, etc., not lose your soul, and also get into it and help people? What is your thought? Because you have to counsel your own daughter on this.
0: Well, Robert, before I answer that, I want to come back uh, to clarify a point that I'd made during the advanced medicine seminars, which you just sure. alluded to when we started this uh, segment. Yeah, And that was that I had talked about in, you know increasing the definition or, or widening the definition of a healer. And I just want to make sure that we're very clear. Mm-hmm. There are many people out there that use the veil of being a healer to take advantage of people. You and I both know that. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you have a degree or not. There are many people that use that title. And I think that's one of the contention of the medical hierarchies that we have to regulate it, and we have to do this and we have to do that to prevent people from taking advantage, these healers from taking advantage of patients and to Mm-hmm. In, in, in reality, it's under the pretense of protecting the public that they're trying to take action, but their real agenda is because so they can maintain their monopoly. You and I obviously right. know that, and, and I would assume that most of our listeners know that too. But what I was trying to say was that you don't need to have a medical degree. You don't have to have a naturopathic degree or chiropractic degree or any kind of degree for that matter to really be a healer. Just because you have a degree doesn't make you a healer either. See, people think that if you become a doctor, or uh, get, get your medical degree, your MD, your DO, your, you know, whatever, your chiropractic, naturopathic, that they are now considered healers. Well, maybe a label from the public's perception is that, yes, this is a healer, but that doesn't make a person a healer. And that, uh, that's the point that I was trying to make there. Because I've actually met mm-hmm. a woman who was a hairdresser, and she had, she was really gifted. She had the ability to to heal. I mean, she yeah. had some extraordinary. Gifts, which is not unique, by the way, just to this hairdresser to certain other people. Every single person has the ability to heal themselves. That's one reason the way you end the show every freaking week is so (laughs) powerful to me, is that the power to heal is yours. But people think it's a slogan. It's not a slogan. It's the truth. Yes. I asked a patient of mine uh, that has... We actually, I think, talked about her maybe a couple of weeks ago. She's a lady that I treated eight years ago with cancer, breast cancer, and she got a clean bill of health. But she didn't continue doing the things she was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. One, the the main one was heavy metal toxicity, which, when Doctor John Wilson, a friend of mine from Asheville, yeah, called yeah, me about this patient, ago, he yeah. said that she was she was embarrassed, but she wanted to come back and because her cancer had recurred, and this was about seven or eight years after I'd seen her. And um, the first thing I saw when I got her, when she came in, I opened up her chart. Her old chart was her last heavy metal test. And it was just, you know, showed that she had four or five metals that were well, well up in the toxic range. And I asked her, I said, this is something that we talked about that you need to continue this, because that's a long term play. Did you continue this? Did you continue getting your treatments to get rid of the metals? And she just looked like a kid that hadn't done their homework, you know? She had that guilty look on her face, and she said, no, I didn't. So we had a conversation, and it basically continued where her husband was sitting. Then you could tell how emotionally upset her husband was. And this is a couple of days into her new leg of treatment. Okay. And she was out, she was getting a little negative. And so we were sitting there, and I asked her. There's a, there was a whole transition that led to this conversation, so I, I'm not going to cover the whole gap. Excuse me for if this sounds disjointed. But we came to the conversation about... Belief. Yes. And of course, what we're talking about right now, the power to heal is yours. That's that slogan. Yes. Being a, so much more than that slogan. I asked her, do you believe that you can beat this? And she said, well, I think so. Mm. And my response was, of course, now, if you just think so, do you think that anything that has been accomplished on this planet flight and you know, travel to the moon and indoor plumbing and refrigerators and whatever other conveniences you can think of, do you think that they were developed because somebody thought they could do it or somebody was convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt and was willing to put their life on the line that it could be done? And the conversation evolved. I looked at her husband because he had been the one who was emotionally distraught because she'd been negative. And, you know, basically wanting to quit. And, and I told her, I said, look, if you want to quit, you can quit. I, I, I'm not I'm not sitting here trying to convince you to, to fight for your own life. If if you don't want to fight for your life, I'm, I'm not going to be able to be successful. So I do not participate in exercises and futility. So if you want to quit, you can go ahead and quit. But playing these games, and I said, obviously, you're here. You said you couldn't come back, and you told your husband all this stuff. But you were doing it for an emotional reason. But you're here, and if you didn't want to fight, I would assume you wouldn't have come back here today. And she said, you're right. And I said, then you can't use words... That are going to take away the power from yourself or from other people just to get a response. many people do that they say I can't do this and they they know they can they want to but they're just trying to look for sympathy or somebody come up sure. and stroke and say it's okay you know what I'm talking
1: about but it is self-sabotage isn't it not? it is
0: it is absolutely yeah. and that's the whole point because they, they are the power of the word that you emit from your mouth programs your RASC on your reticular activating system control mechanism, which is a goal-seeking mechanism which if destroyed a person will die within a year, 18 months. In fact, they've done studies with people that are – the men that have retired and then don't do any hobbies, or don't take up anything else. Within three years, they're dead. The RASCON, the Reticular Activating System Control Mechanism, which is part of the reptilian brain in humans, is something that must have a goal that it's pursuing. Now, I turned to her husband and I could tell – the way he was looking at me, he had tears in his eyes. The way he was looking at me, it almost said in a pleading way, please convince her, okay?
1: Uh-huh.
0: So, I called one of my nurses in, Robin, who was, who's who been with me, um, I think, 10 or 11 years now. And uh, she had been with me in Mexico about six, seven years ago. And you know Dr. Hitt, who's one of my mentors. Yes. Dr. Hitt's clinic, we were doing some training there, and Long story short, Robin was having some excruciating pain. She'd taken some medication. She's got uh, arthritis. She's a young nurse, but she's got some degenerating joint changes that have occurred. But I called her in, and I asked her to tell the story of what happened in Dr. Hitt's clinic when she was in so much pain. She was crying. I was hooked up to an IV. As you know, I don't do any treatments for patients unless I've experienced them myself, so I didn't need any of those treatments. But I was going through the treatments. told Robin to sit next to me, and I told her to tell the story. And Robin tells a story what where she came in. And I looked at her. She was crying. I said, what's wrong? And she said, I've taken, I don't know how many Motrin she'd taken and how many Tylenol she'd taken and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we we're in a different country and her pain was flared up. And she said, I was just in so much pain. She said, I don't think I've been in that much pain at that point in my life ever. She's had a child now, so maybe she's been in more pain. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, she she says uh, she says that. I told her to sit down. And again, I'm not narrating the story. I'm just asking her to tell this patient and her husband the story. And she sits down next to me and she says, and Dr. Bittar then put his hand on my knee and I'll just add on the side note appropriately. Yes. So she uh, she's sitting there. I put my hand on her knee and I told her to start breathing. And she says, she's telling the story and she said it probably was about three minutes, four minutes. She said, my knee started burning and He had me breathe in and out deeply. I had a breathing, you know, the hand or the diaphragm. And she said within about five minutes, 85 to 90 percent of the pain was gone. And within about another three or four minutes, it totally finished. And I told her, actually, I took my hand off her knee by, by the last few minutes. I said to continue that breathing and the pain was gone. Now, she said that my hand was on fire. But. I took my hand and had one of my other nurses touch, and she says, normal. My hand was totally normal, but her knee, she felt that my hand was on fire. So she said, I don't know what he did, but he took my pain away.
1: Well, no, it was obviously the medical school you went to and the degree you got that made that possible. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on. To to your point of how we started this segment, Dr. Batar, which is fantastic. I mean, you just that perspective in reality it there is no level of schooling you know or degree or acknowledgement that guarantees or or stops that i mean it's completely in a different realm of reality when that kind of healing occurs yet we've been limited to this construct that the piece of paper says it's okay uh the the government sanctions it or your peer group says it's cool and to your point this is the point of everything we do in fact
0: exactly robert and so to continue the story Robin now exits the office. I'm looking at the patient. I'm looking at the husband. So I asked the husband, Joe. I said, Joe, tell me why is it that not everybody can do that? Mm. Why is it that everybody doesn't have that power? And he's quiet and he goes, he's thinking and he says, probably because they don't believe it. And I said, bingo. It's because they don't believe it. Because the truth is everyone has that power. Every one of them, that's one reason I love the way we end the show, that the power mm-hmm. to heal is yours, because it is the power that's theirs. Mm-hmm. It is each individual's right. It's been given, given to each one of us. The problem is that the vast majority
1: of us don't believe it. Yes, But how much energy is expended by uh, elites within any given area or industry, government, media, medicine, that have expended that energy with the ex- specific purpose to deny that power, to convince you that you don't have it, that you can't exactly. do it. And that was exactly. the concern is where we got to wrap up this segment and come back. But the concern I have for your daughter, how is it that she can maintain it in spite of or all of the things that they'll throw at her going through the medical Uh, culture today to get the degree, to get the license, etc. And that's a big question I have for you. you up for that after the break? Absolutely. All right. This is Advanced Medicine Monday on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rasha Bittar. Check out all the links today in the show notes as well. You can get over to Medical Rewind here, all the 100-plus hours of archives available to you, get the international bestseller, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, which is so awesome, and get ready to come to the next Advanced Medicine Seminar, Cancun, April 20th through 27th. We'll be right back.
0: The Robert Scott Bell Show. The information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show.
1: Anybody else find it funny or ironic that here we are talking about the realities of the limiting factors of modern medicine where it is not life affirming? And yet, some of this, as I try to steer the conversation, not that I can steer Rashid Batar anywhere, but you know what I mean, (laughs) uh, in carrying this to those of you who have. A deep seated desire and need to help people heal. Now, the point that Dr. Batar made is that there should not be a limiting factor in terms of how you do it, where you go, where you learn, how you learn. I mean, I would love it if we would all open up master apprentice relationships all over planet Earth to get the wisdom of the ancients coming through our ancestors so we wouldn't lose it and water it down into controlled kind of limitation. But yet there is a construct that still exists somehow today, and there are those of you out there that said, no, I am, I've got this nudge, it's just so strong, I can't shut it down, I need to go this way. That, I, I am concerned for you if that's the case, but I want to say, is there a way? I want to ask, is there a way that you can survive it and succeed and help people? And of course, we're not into limitations, so as you've had to counsel your own daughter, Dr. Bittar, about this very thing, maybe we can get some insight there.
0: Well, Robert, I think you are already know, first of all, for the listeners, you are able to steer me. You often do during the shows <laughs> to make sure that I stay on topic, which I appreciate you doing. <laughs> but, but the thing is that if an individual truly has that calling and they can feel it, it's in their bones. They can't get it out of their head. They just feel that desire, that need, almost it's a necessity to pursue that. Do not ignore that. That is a calling. That is the creator telling you what your plan on this planet Earth is. That is your plan that he has for you that i believe that the universal consciousness god you know whatever you want to call that energy force that drives us from where we came and from where um, to where we will all return that that force that energy is directing you and i believe that once our mission has been completed that energy will take us back now if you have that calling do pursue it Don't even hesitate. Don't worry about what anybody else says or the constraints or the limiting factors or what society or the public opinion or the government hierarchies. Regardless, follow it and follow it to its core. My Mm -hmm. favorite, favorite quote that is anonymous Mm -hmm. is, do right and fear no man. Mm -hmm. So use those words and remember that you are being guided by something so much greater if you have that calling. Pursue it with a passion. Don't let anything get in your way. Don't let anybody uh, mm-hmm. dissuade you. So that's the first thing that I would tell you. Now, when you're talking about the obstacles that you're going to experience mm-hmm. while pursuing that passion, by when you're pursuing your calling, if you will, as Robert stated, some of these can be very horrendous. As you've said, Robert, I mean, you and I mm-hmm. have experienced many of these things. But it may be enough of an experience where others looking at what we've gone through say, I'd rather do something else. Yeah,
1: yeah, but occasionally there'll be someone that says, no, I I just have to do it. And and listen, I respect that. I know in my upbringing, remember, I've told my story many times, you know it, how I I knew from the littlest of little I was that I would grow up to become a doctor one day. But the only Image of a doctor. The only, how would you say, example of it was a medical doctor, a licensed degree. You go to medical school, and it wasn't until you know 19 years of age where I had been abused so much by the profession with all that they do, prescribing drugs and everything, and realizing that they didn't know that I said I cannot subject myself to that which I know is false in order just to have a, you know the degree, etc. So for me, it was clear that I was being you know my mission, my path, my calling. That internal voice was saying no. Don't go there. And I, I didn't fight it, but I didn't know. It was kind of, uh, it was like, well, what do I do? I, my whole life I was going to do this. So I had to literally go into a whole other realm of learning that was seemingly to some degree not related, but completely related. Like going into, deep into spiritual discovery, learning principles and laws that I would then bring back out as I learned about new ways and different ways to heal.
0: And that's exactly. Where we want an individual to be able to go, and the conflicts that you talk about, the mm-hmm. dilemmas that they 're going to have to deal with, and sometimes the hazing the all the different pressures that are put on an individual to conform mm-hmm. uh, so that the beast can continue doing its bidding by its master, oh, meaning yes. that the way our medical uh, scenarios are have been dictated, they're being dictated by somebody higher up that's controlling how this information has been disseminated over the last hundred years, what the definition of medicine has become, you know, all the different controlling factors. And if you're totally clueless as to what I'm talking about, rather than us trying to talk about it during the show, read Liam's book so you'll understand.
1: Yeah, official um, stories will get you. Official
0: there. stories right. So but the point is that the the whole medical mafia if that's a term that we can use, Robert. If that's not censorable, if that's not censurable, no, no, that.
1: we're good. The medical mafia is very appropriate.
0: Okay, so the medical mafia has controlled the way this information has been disseminated, and and what they will do is that if you don't conform, you will have to pay them. You will have to. You basically are paying a protection fee by conforming to them, and if you don't pay them that protection fee, that protection be- fee being the confirmation then they will end up taking you out, essentially. That's what, the, that's what the issue is. So if you truly have that desire...
1: Well, exactly. That desire is what I was talking about, that some people are saying, I hear what you and, and, and Dr. Batar are saying, Robert, but I just got to go for it. And now you're you're treading in, in a very dangerous territory. It, 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 but it becomes personal here when you have to guide a loved one through something like this.
0: You're absolutely right, Robert. You're absolutely right. And in fact, that's... Um why I said to you during the break when you said, can we bring this up about your daughter, that I realized that this is something – this is so much more personal for me right now and more than even you realize and I'm going to explain it now. And maybe my daughter will hear this and, um, mm-hmm. and get some guidance from it because we had a discussion about two weeks ago. And in this discussion, you, you remember for the people that may not know what the story is, but essentially my daughter was going to go into journalism She wanted to go into uh, communications, and she's a writer. She's already published. She's very, very good at what she does as far as writing and and poetry and such. And one day, at the end of her first year in college, she called me, and she said, Dad, I don't know why, but I woke up this morning. I've spent the last two hours on the computer, and I've decided I want to be a doctor. So I was shocked. Um, I would be lying if I said that part of me wasn't proud, but part of me was also very scared for her because I know what I've gone through, and I didn't want her to go through that. So... Anyway she's been working in the office a couple of summers she started working um, during the school year. she transferred to back to Charlotte and she I mean she did fantastic I three point nine three GPA her first year at North Carolina State University and taking you know tough classes like calculus and I mean not not bogus classes right well she's she wanted to continue working in the clinic she wanted to move back home because she missed home so she's going to University of North Carolina Charlotte and working. And the clinic one or two days a week, depending on what her schedule is in the semester. And she's really, really um, earned herself a position there because even my staff that has been with me for an extensive period of time, more than a decade, now want her to do certain tasks that they don't trust to anybody else. So, for example, my office manager, who has been with me for 12 years now almost, yes. has said, Dr. Batar, I only want Sarah to do this because she's the only one that I trust doing it. So she's really earned herself a position. It's not because – No, she's got the, the
1: skills. She's proven herself. Uh, and, and certainly if she's got that, that – well, as we talked about, this inner drive to do something that we would want to dissuade most people from if they don't realize what they're getting into. Of course, I Absolutely, can't imagine Robert, she doesn't I, know what she's exactly, getting
0: into. I mean that, that's exactly the point. She calls me in the middle of you know an evening, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and asks me if I have a minute and says, sure. And you know I think she needs some help or she's just – want to talk about something and she's concerned about something she saw in the clinic because she wants to make the uh, iv suites more comfortable for the patients, so she's got a concern with one of the patients that she wanted to tell me you know it's in other words it's much more than just getting a paycheck working dad's clinic and i'm done with it so she's vested herself into this yes so i see this happening and um over the last year and a half, and the, you know, we, I got I got divorced when my daughter was seven years old. So that was there's an emotional aspect there for her um, that's even to this day affecting her. But the long and the short is, and the reason I want to bring this up, and I hope we have enough time to do this, is because two weeks ago we had a conversation where we actually ended up. She got very very upset and and left because she decided that she wants she wants to do medicine and she's doing all the pre med courses, but she decided that. At University of North Carolina, Charlotte, the nursing degree with all the pre-med requirements would allow her to still go to medical school, but she would end up having a um, pause if she wanted to, meaning that she could then go into nursing for a year or two and then go on to med school. And I thought that when she said that, uh, that was not my daughter speaking, but I could tell there was some fear, and that fear is what we're talking about because she's seen – even in her short tenure in the last year and a half, off and on working in the clinic in the summers, you know, some of the trials and tribulations for just practicing good medicine, yes. the types of things that can happen. And so I think that part of that, you know, she decided she wanted to go to medicine and now she's pulling back. She really wants to do it, but she's hesitating. So. Yeah, I said it's not a big deal. They don't have a pre-med program at University of North Carolina Charlotte anyway. You know, the nursing degree is fine, and then you get your pre-med requirements, and you can go into medical school. That's, I mean, not, that's not a big deal, and it was, it's been something that It's
1: been done before. Disgusting. I'm sorry? It's, that's been done before. People have done but,
0: that. Absolutely, and it's not a big deal. But two weeks ago, we had this discussion, and it resulted in my daughter getting very, very upset with me because she may be going down the wrong path. Now, why do I say that? Twice she's made a decision, and uh, I've supported the decision, and afterwards she said, well, Dad, I thought you were going to say, you know, don't do this. You were going to fight me on it, Dad.
1: Why aren't you fighting me on it?
0: Right, exactly. And she's told me, she said, well, I wish you had. So, you know, and I want her to grow up, and I want her, she's grown up, she's far more mature than I was at her age, so she's been making the right decisions, and even though I may not agree with it, and she's come back full circle to have done what I thought she probably should have done, but, you know, I figured we got to burn our own paths and and mm-hmm. it, you know it's all good there's nothing to worry about well at this point i felt like this may be a critical juncture and so i stepped in and i told
1: her oh hold on on that note we got to take a break the cliffhanger of sure. the story of what's going to happen next as far as uh, entry into modern medicine or is there a, a detour along the way dr Vitar is revealing something very uh, intimate but i think it's so important because many of you out there with your kids Even grandma, grandpa, all of these relationships, how can we help somebody find their path? Even if it's one we go, oh, I don't know. All right, stand by, we'll find out that and more on the other side of this break on Advanced Medicine Monday on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell.
0: Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert.
1: Unintentional cliffhanger there, Dr. Batar. I'm sorry we ran out of time. We got one more segment here, but you were about to tell your daughter something very significant. Now we're all waiting with, what is it?
0: Well, I'll tell you, Robert, it wasn't so significant to her because I don't think she wanted to hear it, but I thought that I needed to say it. And again, you know, as a parent, your job is to guide your child, knowing what you know, knowing the child, and having had more life experience in the child to help contribute and make their path easier. And so I could tell my daughter had said a couple times in the last few weeks, or maybe last month or two, that maybe she'll take some time off and go into nursing first. And yes, you're right, it's been done. But the statistics are that 90% 90% of the people that take a pause in their education never go back. Why? Because life gets in the way and you sure. start getting, you know, bills have to be paid and this and that and the other. And I didn't want her to uh, be one of those statistics. Right. And as I was trying to express that, her response was, Dad, I don't know why it's, it's like nursing is not a proud enough profession for you for me. And, again, I think it was a lot of other emotions that came out. You know, wow, maybe, that's,
1: that's brutally honest. No,
0: it is brutally honest, but it, that wasn't my intention. And hopefully, maybe she'll hear this and she'll understand what my intention was. Now, Robert, you mm. know me. Yes. Okay? My daughter is just as much of a control freak as I am. Okay? <laughs> oh, boy. And, and I told her that there's no way she would be happy in a profession of nursing. Why? Because, not because it's not a noble profession, right. but because she would not be able to make the difference that she is going to want to make as a nurse. And I said, are you willing to have some buffoon, some idiot with a degree, tell you what drug to give a patient or what IV to push in a patient or what to do? I said, the only difference you're going to make for an individual is by being able to hold their hand or make them comfortable as a nurse, but you will not be able to dictate how their treatment will go. You will have somebody else dictate. So and you, she you
1: said, are, in acknowledging your daughter's spirit, you know, her continence, Say that this is where you would be going and fitting in. You would literally have to take yourself and remove part of yourself in order to be happy doing just that.
0: Exactly. And okay. she she looked at me and she said, Are "You telling me that you say nursing is not a proud profession?" I said, "I'm not talking about anything but no, nursing absolutely not being not. a proud profession." Yeah, yeah. But she wanted to go into the nurse, and that's it says she she started bringing up those analogies, and I said. Even they, they're having to conform to the medical hierarchy, whether you're having to conform to what the idiot doctor is telling you or whether you have to conform to what the idiot regulatory board is telling you, you still have to conform. And I'm trying to make sure that you don't have to conform. And I and I said something that I'm 100% sure I was right in where I told her, I said, listen, either going to journalism or going to medicine, the choice is yours, but do yourself a favor and don't go into nursing. And the reason is because I know that for her, Mm -hmm. It would be a temporary, if best, profession because in two, three, four years, she would be so miserable because she – I mean, this is a girl that calls me while her friends are out there having a good time, going out and doing everything else. She's studying and then calling me to take a break to tell me. That I think we should do this for the patients because it's going to make them more comfortable. Right. You can, you can I see think where she's to- at,
1: and it, as a nurse, listen it, again, anybody who is a nurse or wants to be a nurse, what Dr. Batar is saying is not in any way denigrating the profession, it's recognizing the path of an individual. In this case, we were talking about your daughter, but you may, listening right now, may have that same you know, I cannot, you know, for me, I couldn't stand being. Uh, around authoritarians, uh, telling uh, me things Robert, that I just, know are wrong. Uh,
0: you're absolutely right. I don't mean to cut you off, but I want to bring yeah. one point home here because this is, this is so crucial that one of my nurses, Robin, the one I was talking about, worked for me starting at the age of 17. She started very young, and when she turned 22, 23 and had got, you know, gotten her education while she was going to school, she was you know, working with us, she left the clinic. And she went and worked in a hospital for a year and a half, and she came back, and she said, I can never, ever work in a hospital because her path, she realized also, was with me, with us, with my mm-hmm. clinic because she was able to do so much more. She was able to see people getting better, and that's what nurses are about. Nurses want to help the people during that rough stage to get them better, but many times, they're being told what to do, you know, the drugs or whatever. It will not allow the patient to right. get better. Right. That will
1: likely harm the patient. You can't exactly. withstand that if you have this heart of, of a healer.
0: That's exactly right. And I just know that, you know, if she was going to be a nurse in my clinic, which, you know, that's a different story then she may actually be be able to, you know, have a life that she's happy with. But going through the nursing profession, no way. I mean, yeah. the standard nursing profession, she would be miserable. And so my hope was that she would understand that. And I, I mean, when I told her go into journalism mm-hmm. or go into medicine, but don't go into nursing, I think that threw her in her loop. And she's, yeah. you know… It hasn't been the same with my daughter and I for the last week and a half. And I've told her, I said, you know, are you still mad at me? And she says, no, but I, you know, you know, you can
1: tell something's <laughs> up. Listen,
0: she's we're, just like
1: me, okay? Yeah, exactly. Listen, I so ignores, much. She
0: ignores the uh, person when she's not happy.
1: Right. No, I appreciate you so much in sharing the story because I think of it in terms of how many people out there could be impacted about the personal story, the mission, the passion, whatever you have. And this is where I'm encouraging you once again as we wrap up today's Advanced Medicine Monday to consider coming to the next advanced medicine seminar because this may help you along in identifying your path and sparking that mission and bringing it back to life. That's a, for a lot of people that come, this is what it happens. Whether you're looking for healing or where you're looking to become a healer, this is what happens at advanced medicine seminars.
0: Robert, I also want to say one quick thing that you talked about the power to heal. We talked about how important yep. that slogan is, but we are actually now going to help to contribute to that belief for people all have that power themselves, but many of them, as we know, don't believe it, the launch of the Ahead Map will give them that belief factor because now they will be able to see a tangible way Mm -hmm. of assessing the improvement that an individual will be responsible for themselves.
1: Mm -hmm. And, And that's the extraordinary thing about the Ahead Map. You'll find that it brings that power to heal, that belief in that power to heal, back to you and the practicality of it as well. Well, the links are up in the show notes today, robertscottbell.com, right to advanced medicine seminars, including the next one in Cancun, April 20th through 27th. Dr. Batar, we are overtime now. we got to have uh, Super Don crunch the music real quick here, and I appreciate you so much. Can't wait till next week already. Everybody check it out. Get the nine steps to keep the doctor away, and it will help you to remember the God's honest truth that the power to heal is yours. Robert, Scott, the Bell Robert Scott Bell show Robert Scott Bell show